Well, again, good morning. I hope you're having a great weekend. Uh, the men had a wonderful Saturday yesterday. A lot of us went, got to go on a boat ride, which was great to get out and have some fellowship together. Uh, great times. But uh, we want to start, start out this morning with our announcements. Uh, Promised Land is, as uh, we've been announcing every Sunday, assistants are needed for April and May. Teachers are needed in June. And so if you can serve and you're interested, please talk to Herman or Ellie or Sammy. And uh, I, I think uh, something that the deacons have been talking about is um, being good stewards uh, of, of our earth. And so they want to start recycling more. And so um, I think there's a recycling box in the back, particularly the prayer cards that we could reuse. And so that's something that we're doing. So there's a box in the back for that, uh, just so you know. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, is um, kind of missing for me, because we, didn't have a, we don't have a permanent church home, now we do, but in the past we haven't. And I think one of the detriments is that it's harder for us to impact the community that's around us and to reach out to people. And so this morning we have a great opportunity of how to reach out to our community. So I'm going to ask Daryl to come on up. Thank you, Al. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> wow. Appreciating you letting me present here because I work for a nonprofit which has been around for 30 years. I don't know if many of you um, read the news, but about two weeks ago, working wardrobes, um, our entire building was burned down. And uh, essentially, right now, we're in a rebuilding process. And as a community, um, I would like to offer a couple of opportunities to um, help us rebuild as a community event for us as an organization. And also because people in the, within the congregation have asked me, what are things we can do? So what I would like to do is point out the orange document. What happens is Angela and I will be collecting clothing. So for, for many of you, if you have generally used professional casual clothing, you please put it on hangers and uh, deliver it or let us know and we will go ahead and offer hangers for everybody and um, allow you to bring them in and we'll collect them and I can take them in whenever I go to the office. And also um, there's a second opportunity which is our, <clears throat> our 5K walk on March 28th. What happens is we, have, we serve a lot of veterans in the, in the community and we have our walk over at Lakeview Park on March 28th. And, and um, many of you, um, if you want to join, you can join. Soul to Soul is the team that Ansel and I are running. So if you want to join, you're welcome to join. If not, you can start your own team. But it'll be a great time. And you'll very, you'll, you will um, suit it. You will, I hate talking to front of groups. So please, part, part of this because it's um, a challenge. And, but uh, it's one of those things that um, we really help the veteran community. And if you want to look at our website, it's workingwardrobes.org. And thank you very much. Thank you, Daryl. Awesome. And then I guess Daryl to come on up to talk about Prayer Circle. Uh, good morning. I, I just want to make a quick announcement regarding next week's Prayer Circle. Uh, prayer Circle is a prayer ministry where we gather once a month to pray for the needs of the body. Uh, next week, though, we'll be meeting at the new facility. Uh, we'll be praying for the needs of the body. But we'll also be taking some time to uh, walk through each location of the building and pray for the ministry that is uh, part of the proposed plan. So uh, I ask you to join us. We're going to pray for the ministry, but also the people that will be impacted by those ministries in the future. And um, it's a great time. We'll meet at 730 on 
Wednesday evening, and we'll spend some time committing uh, the facility to God's purposes. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. And also for Harvest Women coming up, Beth Moore is coming to Irvine. Uh, join us for her Living Proof Life. I think we're trying to get a group of ladies to go together. Uh, tickets are 65 for a group of 10, so I think they're trying to round it up. If you have any questions, you can say shin shin, and I, I think an evite also went out. Um, the park is meeting on Saturday, February 22nd. Do me a favor today. When you get home, say a prayer for the park. You'll see that there's probably 20 empty seats on over here. Um, they are having a weekend retreat. Um, and um, pray for Pastor Joe that he could just really have a great time of fellowship and teaching them and, and that our kids learn and are, are inspired by the Spirit and that, they just, and that they all come back home safely tomorrow. They come back, I think, tomorrow afternoon. So uh, please do lift them up in prayer. But there is a meeting next week as well. And next, I think we have a crochet class. Is that up? Yeah, women's crochet class with, it's not, in our, it's not in our bulletin. There's a crochet class with Eileen and Hua, Saturday, February 29th, from 2 to 4 at, at Hua's house. And they, I think a couple weeks ago or last week, they showed us some great samples of that. So please join us. And then next, let's celebrate. We're having an open house on our new home, 9235 Research, on Sunday, March 1st, from 12 to 2. Uh, we'll, yay! We'll provide pizza and drinks, bring your own chair, <laughs> BYOC, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, enter into the second driveway on the left, uh, off research, in order to be good neighbors to the ch other churches near us, uh, and an evite will be coming soon. And just uh, for relevance sake, um, I know that we've been doing the TCK fundraising. When we get there in a couple weeks, you'll see that um, it's actually not that bad, but there's a lot of work to be done as well. And so we've been fundraising to be able to do the, the right uh, build-out and infrastructure. And, and right now, I think, in, in pledges and um, in collections already for the TCK, praise the Lord, we're about $492,000 on that collection. So we're really uh, grateful and excited about that. And I'm going to ask Sean to come make, come make an announcement for us. Hey, guys. Uh, so you know that our church has had... Uh, a few low times in our past, and you know, I'm, I don't know why, but I'm surprised. I'm surprised because God has been faithful to us through all of those times. Somebody said amen, that's good. Amen. amen. Um, you know, he's been faithful to us recently uh, by bringing Pastor Gary and Suzanne into our midst, which has been great. Um, he's given us a new vision for our church. Who knows a new vision? Glorify God by loving Christ and those whom Christ loves, right? Okay, our new vision. Uh, he's given us a new church building. There's a lot to be excited for. And uh, I just wanted to, to announce that um, we're getting closer. We're getting closer in our pastoral search team. Uh, we've had 10 dedicated individuals from our congregation um, diving into the word for the past six months, um, praying and um, I can honestly say we're getting closer. Um, the next stage um, is, is a little bit of diligence for um, a few candidates, um, and that involves more prayer, uh, some background checks, face-to-face uh, -face meetings, and uh, some reference checks. So we'll be doing all that in the next few months. Um, what can you do? Um, as a congregation, uh, pray. Pray for, um, pray for unity amongst the search team and amongst our congregation. And, um, and just pray that, that God would uh, bring the right person to us. Um, so thanks.
Thank you, Sean. And just want to close our announcements with our prayer and praises. As I said, please pray for the park as they'll be coming back tomorrow from their uh, weekend retreat. Uh, pray for our leaders. I was talking to some of the deacons recently, and I said, you know what? I think you guys probably have the m most challenging uh, um, term of deacons ever because with, with our new building. It's a whole new adventure for our, our, our church. It's uncharted territory. They're going to start making up. There, there are no rules, right? And they have to establish our policies and how we're going to be able to handle this. Biggest challenge, but also the greatest opportunity and probably the most exciting, too, in a lot of ways. And so we definitely want to keep our deacons lifted up in prayer over these matters. Pray for our elders that they could, uh, as, as we look to hire a new uh, pastor, San, uh, Sean Sierd, um, and, and just, just a lot going on. So please keep our, our leaders in prayers. And we have a whole um, pastoral search committee. Pray for them as well. And then pray for our nation's leaders, and uh, no need to explain on that. Just so much going on out in the world right now. So let's, lots of announcements today, but let's go to our scripture. And um, today we're going to talk about something that we all need, we all want more of, and um, I hope, really excited to hear about it, because uh, just some rough patches personally, and so can't wait to hear more about peace. And so can we all stand up for the scripture today? It comes from John 14. 27 to 31. It's only four verses, so why don't we all read it together? Uh, John 14, 27, 20, 14, 27 to 31, and let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you before it happened, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the rule of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Get up and let us go from here. Please be seated. You know, when the Lord Jesus uh, spoke to his disciples about his departure, it triggered uh, an immediate anxiety amongst them. Uh, Jesus anticipated this, of course, and so he devotes chapter 14, which we're looking at, uh, to comforting and encouraging his men. And he does this primarily through a series of promises. Uh, he gives them the promise of participation in his future work. He gives them the promise of answered prayer, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit, uh, the promise of heaven. In our passage today, as uh, previously noted, uh, today we're going to conclude really with uh, he gives us the promise of peace. Uh, peace can be defined as the harmony of the soul. It's freedom from internal conflict. And God gives peace and harmony, however, not to those that pursue them, but to those who pursue him. That's where peace comes from. 
Now, before we launch into the subject of peace, there are a couple of statements in verse 28 that beg for a little bit of an explanation, and I'd like to camp out there for a few minutes. Again, in verse 28, the first part, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. Now, what Jesus is referring to here is his future ascension leaving earth and rejoining the Father in glory. Now, while Jesus was on earth, he was in a state of humiliation uh, in that his deity was confined to the form of a human body, a form of a man. Now, after his death and resurrection, Jesus ascended back to the Father, and he was once again in a state, if you please, of exaltation. And he says, if you loved me, men, he's talking to his disciples, if you really loved me, you would rejoice and you would be happy for me. It's a not-so-subtle way of telling his men to get their eyes off themselves for a moment. It's okay to acknowledge pain. It's okay for us to acknowledge heartache. But it's also okay for us to share in the joy of other people, even in the midst of heartache. In other words, you know, we have the supernatural power of getting outside of ourselves, even when we're going through the ringer, and rejoicing in the prosperity and the good fortune of one another. It's just part of being the family of Christ, because we all know that we're we're going to be on the other side as well. So, important there. Uh, the second statement uh, is that uh, this that really needs an explanation is at the end of verse 28, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. Uh, the Father is the what we refer to as the first person of the triune God. Jesus is the second person of the triune God. And uh, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. And here Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. Uh, These words have kind of been the punching bag of uh, the ancient Arians and modern-day Unitarians. Or the... uh, um, What are the other two things? Uh, Jehovah Witness, uh, Latter-day Saints... All of these denominations declare that Jesus is below the level of the Father. Uh, What do you say about something like this? Um, By the way, to understand that Jesus was below the Father would be tantamount to making Jesus nothing more than a created being. Uh, three, uh, Three comments. First, there are a number of passages in the Bible, and we're familiar with many of them, that confirm the equality of Jesus with the Father. John 14, 9, Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In John 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now, second, and this this is significant, but for Jesus to even utter that the Father is greater than I and be taken seriously presupposes the essential oneness between Jesus and the Father. 
Now, if I were to stand before you and solemnly say, the Father is greater than I, well, that would be dressing up truth in ridiculous clothing because the distance between God and me is so great that any comparison becomes comical. See, comparisons can only be made between things of the same nature. And by making the comparison, what Jesus is actually saying is that he's of the same essence of the Father. And that's the key, the same essence. Now, the third, and really this is the key, it's this. The context of this verse has to do with Jesus' incarnation, Jesus leaving the glory of heaven, coming to earth, and taking the form of a man. During that time, the Father was in glory. Uh, God the Father was in glory, and God the Son was on earth, which simply means his glory was confined to a human body. So in that case, in position only, the Father can be said to be greater than the Son. That's it. So this is a reference not to Jesus' essential being. It's the same as the Father. It's a rep- it re- simply refers to his, e- his incarnate state while he was here on earth. During his time on earth, the Father's glory was exhibited in all of the universe. His glory was confined to that of a human being, and therefore the Father was greater than him in that respect. Okay? Now... Let's move on to the subject of peace. Again, let me read verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not be fearful. Now, there are three major points that are really encapsulated in this verse. In the first part of the verse, Jesus says, true peace is sourced in him. In the middle part of the verse, Jesus says true peace is qualitatively different than the world's peace. And in the third part of the verse, Jesus says true peace is the antidote to fear. Now, what I'm going to do is turn this verse around and we're going to work from the back part of the verse, the end of the verse, to the front part of the verse. Now, something like this is always good for your brain, so go ahead and step it up as we talk about this, okay? Uh, First, Jesus says God's peace is the antidote to fear. He says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, the the Bible itself, in, in a number of different ways, in a number of different occasions, commands us to be joyful, exhorts us to be joyful. But the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to be sad. I mean, my goodness, the Bible assumes that Christians are going to be sad. We're living in a painful world. And if we're willing to be drawn into the sorrows of one another, which we should be as a body of Christ, if we're willing to be drawn into those those sorrows of one another, if we're willing to be good Samaritans with tender hearts, then we're going to share that pain. We're going to weep with those who weep. We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so it's all right to be sad, but it's not all right to be fearful. 
Jesus was a man of sorrows, but he was not a man of fears. Now, peace itself is the antithesis of fear. If you had a perfect relationship with God, you would be without fear. Uh, If you're growing in your relationship with God, then there'll be less fears this year than there were last year. So fear is sourced in sin. In the Garden of Eden, you may recall, when the man and the woman ate the forbidden fruit and Jesus came in, they ran and and hid. It was the result of fear. You see, every day when the man and the woman were in the garden and they were there enjoying the garden, uh, Jesus would come and he would commune with them in the cool of the garden. Now, when God came near, they ran to him. The language of their hearts was fellowship. But the moment they dismissed the Lord, the moment they dismissed God and went independent, the moment that they really doubted the goodness of of God as the serpent tempted them in that direction, the moment that they considered that God's prohibition about eating of the forbidden fruit was an infringement on their rights as human beings and their personal freedom, at that moment, the language of their heart went from fellowship to fear. They were naked, they were exposed, and they were ashamed. And when God came into the garden, they ran to the bushes and they hid. See, the lie of the adversary is that when you move away from God you move away from fear. On the contrary, when you move away from God, you discover your fear. You see, the head, you're heading right into the teeth of fear because you sense your own finiteness. I shared a story with you a number of months back, um, but it's applicable to this particular situation here as well. So pardon me if I get into a little bit of a rendition of it as well. But uh, you may recall, many of you I'm sure do recall, that back in 1990, um, there was an earthquake in San Francisco where the buildings crumbled and the Bay Bridge collapsed and everything was just tossed into turmoil. During that time, Suzanne and I were at a husband-wife conference at Hume Lake, and there were a number of pastors from the Bay Area that were there as well. And when that happened, they immediately left the conference and went back to their churches, their congregants there, and spent time with them. Many of them were suffering in that uh, particular realm. But in the wake of that disaster, a talk show host interviewed a clinical psychologist And the host made a very insightful comment about what was going on in the Bay Area. He said, you know, it seems like our ancestors handled calamity much better than we do today. They didn't fall apart. They seemed to accept disaster and family loss as simply part of life. We don't. Why is that? And the psychologist was spot on on his answer. He said this, Our ancestors believed that we were were small in a big universe. Uh, That was truly controlled by God. They knew God. They prayed to God. 
And therefore, our ancestors didn't have the same sense of powerlessness that we do today. They looked at life as a small part of a much greater reality. You live for a while, then you die, and then you go to heaven. And then the psychologist said this, most people today consider this life is all we have. We're the only ones running the world, and when something like this happens, we're traumatized and we're fearful. It was Friedrich Nietzsche, you know, the German philosopher and critic of Christianity. He concocted his own approach to living without God, and he said this, when we all realize that God is dead, we'll need people who are able to live without fear. Now, Nietzsche rightly said that if there is no God, there's no afterlife and no judgment. He's right about that. But then life itself is without meaning and without morality. You can't say that the strong should not oppress the weak. You look at nature, you look at the animal kingdom, and that's exactly what's going on today. It's everywhere. And then Nietzsche said, what we need in the modern world is the ubermensch, the superman. The superman doesn't need meaning. He doesn't need to have a concept of right and wrong. He can handle the fear that comes from knowing that there is no God. And in reality, all Nietzsche really does is prove that Genesis 3 is absolutely spot on. When you deny the existence of God, uh, you don't lose your fears. You discover your fears, and that's what happened in the garden. Sin is taking a position of being your own sovereign, and that position is too big for you and me to be able to, to have, to be able to work through. Second, God's peace is qualitatively different than the world's peace. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. Three observations. First, the world's peace is counterfeit. Now, those of you in the medical field, and that's probably half the people in this room right now, you're familiar with diseases and deformities and death. And you know how fragile life is. You're also aware of how most of us, particularly the male gender, deal with the ailments and diseases of the body. We simply ignore it, hoping that it goes away. We gain a, a measure of peace just simply by pretending that it's not there. The Bible says that true peace comes by opening your eyes. It's dealing with the difficulties of life in the context of an, of an awareness of your true condition as a child of God. You're adopted. You're accepted. You're an heir uh, to, to glory itself. Nothing can tamper with our future. And what that does is it allows you and me uh, to look squarely at reality, to objectify it, to deal with it, and then live in the midst of it. Thinking and reason become our friends. 
Now, those who deny the existence of God have difficulty reflecting on the future. And I've talked to a number of people like that. And that's because they see life as terminal. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They don't know what's going to happen to them after they die. Second point, true peace is constant. The world's peace is based on circumstances, a financial raise, a promotion, a romantic interest. But the problem is, is that they're not durable. They're like bubbles on, on a lake. They're, they immediately break. Now, on the other hand, Christian peace is linked to that which never changes. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. You see, Christian peace is not linked to the mountains. It's linked to the maker of the mountains. And therefore, it's constant. It's not intermittent. And then third, God's peace is sourced in Jesus Christ. And we know that. Verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And what Jesus is doing here to his disciples, he's giving his last will and testament. Now, things that you leave in a will do not become the property of the recipients until you die. And so peace is the legacy of the death of Christ. When you think about it, we can have peace because we know to whom we belong. We know where, in fact, we are going. And the Apostle Paul put it this way, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the, discover, in the discouragements of life, when the mundane becomes the monstrous, we gain a perspective by reflecting on the peace that we have with God once and for all because we are, in fact, his children. We're no longer rebelling against God in the crucial areas of our lives. We're no longer under his impending wrath. We're no longer rejecting his right to rule. We're the object, the object of his favor and love. We meet here to tell Christ corporately we love him. And we gather together as objects of his love. We love him because he first loved us when we were unlovable. You see, the most significant relationship that you could possibly have in the world is just squared away. We enjoy peace that comes from connection with the transcendent God of the universe. He becomes our anchor. He becomes our stability in the midst of all of the storms of life. And then the final question that I put at the very bottom of your outline there is, do you have peace with God through Christ? It's a peace that's intelligent. It's a peace that's constant. 
and it's the only peace that is really the antidote to fear. Father, we thank you for uh, the peace that you offer to us. It's not a frivolous thing. It's not something that you pull right out of the air. It's not something that can be taken away. It's connected with the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth and lived uh, that perfect life that we could not live and then took our sin upon himself and paid the price for that. And we, Father, are filled with Christ and our sin has been forgiven. And uh, even though difficulty, and we, we encounter difficulty so much here on earth, but the important thing is truly squared away. We have a peace with you because of the person of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can revel in that kind of love and in that kind of security, even as we go through those difficult times in life. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord together, giving back to God. If you're here with us for the first time, if you have that welcome card, you can just drop it into the bag as it passes. We're going to close singing about the peace with God and the peace of God. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice I'll hold on to what is true I cannot see If the storms of life they come And the road ahead gets deep I will lift these hands in faith I will believe